Welcome to the Washdown Podcast, episode number 39. And today we are talking with Battalion Chief Chris Rourke. Chief Rourke has 20 years of service in the fire department. He holds multiple degrees in fire science and public administration. And today we are going to have a conversation about leadership and taking care of the people and setting them up for success that you are responsible for. Um, yeah, and we are just going to have a great conversation today. I hope everybody enjoys it as much as we did in making it. So without further ado, here is Battalion Chief Chris Rourke and episode number 39. Yep. So, and, you know, we were talking about, you know, just the whole mental health aspect of seeing the culture change and how, you know, talking to a therapist or peer support or something like that is becoming more acceptable and naturally not um specific to our organization i think it's more you know specific to well that's industry-wide yeah Yeah. i mean well industry and you know culture to that extent Mm -hmm. i mean everybody talks about like when i came on i mean it was you know, you did what you were told and that was it. I mean, and those guys, um, you know, that came before me and before them and yada, yada, yada. But, you know, <clears throat> I had an uncle that retired in 81, but, you know, he was a World War II vet, Korean War vet. And, you know, you look at those vets and they, you do X and X, Y, and Z, and that was it. And now, you know, you look at, you know, I know maybe the tail end of my generation, you know, maybe in the Xers and millennials and all that, you know, they've been taught to question everything. So there's no, you know, pull the hose off the rig and change it just because, you know, well, why are we doing that? Well, now there has to be an answer for everything. So, you know, if you go back in time, it was just, you did it because you were told. Yeah. yeah. You know, we, we talked about that when we had James Kelly on the show, though. That, and he brought up a real good point of that was a great example of leading from the front. It's not that, and, and I'm just as guilty of it, that the younger generation wants explanations for things. Not because they don't want to do it. They just want to understand why it's done that way or why we're doing, you know, the purpose of it. They want a purpose in what they do. And that was something James talked about was, you know, his leadership style is setting the example and doing it and explaining it while he's doing it. And, and it was something I really, <clears throat> I really respected. Well, and that's great. I mean, on the flip side, though, if I tell you to do X, Y, and Z, I may not have the time to explain to you why I'm telling you to do that. I have no problem explaining it to a down the road, but you know, as a BC, you know, this is what I've seen. This is what I want done and do it again down the road. I may explain to you, okay, this is, you know, why I want it done, what I want it done. Uh, and we talked, we talked about too. And that's why we talked about thicker skin because yeah. we both, we also recognize the fact that like in the heat of the moment, sometimes there isn't time for explanations. It needs done and it needs done now and safety and lives depend on it. But then there's that fine line between barking in order and then also teaching and educating after the fact, like 
you said well, to do. And it's kind of, you know, you look at, uh, I mean, that's a, probably a bad example, um, <laughs> the movie Pulp Fiction, when <laughs> um, Harvey Keitel comes in. You know, if I'm, and he says something like, if I'm, if I'm up front, if I'm Kurt, it's because time's of an essence, you know, and sometimes time is of, of an essence. So, you know, we just have to do things, get them done and we'll go from there. Yeah. I, I think that's something that the younger generation and even from my generation need to understand is that you don't always get an explanation right now. No. You know, and it's a, it's different whenever you're having a conversation around the table. You have time to sit there and talk about it and explain it. But whenever you show up to a car wreck or a fire and you got people hanging out and building, you got to throw ladders, yeah, you got to stretch a line. You have things have to be done <clears throat> right now. Yep. And you don't have time to go, hey, buddy, I'd really like it if you would take that ladder over there. Yep. No, it's no. Hey, I, I need that I ladder totally right agree. now. Totally agree. So, Chris, thanks for coming to the show. Oh, no problem. We Trevor. appreciate it. No problem. So, we like to start from the beginning. So, what made you, uh, or what led you to be in the fire service? Oh, I Give mean, us a I, little background. I could have told you when I was five I wanted to be a fireman. Um, I had uncles, cousins, I mean, on the job. It, it was just, I grew up in Northeast. I mean, on in Northeast, every Every other block, I mean, a fireman lived. I mean, you'd go to church, see firemen there, um, my basketball coaches, my baseball coaches. I mean, it was just – I mean, I couldn't think of an of, of a job that – or a career that, you know, that enticed me like being a fireman. And, and there were a thousand different reasons. I mean, you know – get up in the middle of the night and they'd go work and you know essentially to a certain extent they were heroes and but you know they also only worked um eight days a month i was like holy moly i mean my old man was a steel worker at armco seal and you know monday through sunday and sunday through monday and so on and so forth i mean he was working for a paycheck and I never saw my dad on Christmas, Thanksgiving, Easter, 4th of July. I mean, there was a day he could work. He worked. And, you know, looking at the old timers that I saw as a kid, it was like, you know, it was just nothing enticed me or impressed me as much as firemen were. I was like, holy moly, you can – go to the store on duty and yeah, you're, you're, <laughs> you know, you may sleep all night. You may not. I mean, and, uh, had an uncle that retired in 81. He's still alive today, but uh, he'd tell you straight out. He's like, uh, I, you know, came on the job because I knew what they worked and what they did. And yeah, it was, it was more of a blue collar job back then, but, He's like, I knew I could always work a second job. He's like, so I moved furniture for 25 years, and I was on the fire department for 25 years. And um, as I got into high school, and it's funny that you um, you asked that question, um, I, and I was just 
talking to a friend of mine on my way over here, you know. Uh, Just stupid flies driving me crazy. Uh, <laughs> you know, I graduated high school with 2.5 grade point average on a seven-point scale. I was like, holy <laughs> moly. I was like, did I really graduate? And uh, because I knew, I mean, all I had to do was graduate. All I had to do was get a diploma. I can be a fireman. That was it. And, uh, you know, eventually got on and, you know, hung out, had 10, 11, 12 great years as a firefighter in busy companies. Um, and then, you know, the higher education thing kicked in and my body kicked out. <laughs> so it's amazing how that happens. So, and you know, I am where I am now and, um, you know, it, my life from the age of 27 onward is last 20 years has panned out really the way I, I wouldn't say the way I thought it would, but, um, I couldn't be, you know, upset with the way it's, it's panned out. So cool. Um, so you kind of alluded to the fact about promotions and things like that. So you're a battalion chief, which means you're in charge of a whole district. A district. Um, I have 40, 45 people assigned to me, 36 on duty, um, five different stations, five engines or pumpers, one truck, four uh, ambulances. And, you know, again, it's, you know, my standpoint as far as a battalion chief and even as captain, I mean, you can put a billion-dollar fire truck, ambulance, truck company, whatever. You can put a billion-dollar piece of apparatus in that bay. It's it's only as good as the people that are on it. Um, I think, you know, if I were to say I'm successful in anything – it's more of the people come first and unfortunately um to a certain extent you know that really at times um for me personally um my wife and my kids i mean my guys come first my guys and women men and women i mean if one of them needs day off or they need this, that, that, or they need someone to talk to. I mean, that at times is paramount to whatever I'm doing. I mean, that's just, that's the, uh, the road I've decided to go down. And I think for those, you know, I'm not going to say it's right or wrong, but for those of those leaders that don't see it that way, then, I kind of feel sorry for him. I mean, because, you know, if we talk about the the fire service as a brotherhood, a family, et cetera, et cetera. And if you can't stop and, you know, take time out for them, then what is that telling them? Yeah, well, they end up losing trust in their leadership. Yep. And, you know, they, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's no different than if my, 
kids were to call me right now and say, I need X, Y, and Z. Well, I'd stop this interview and be like, all right, what do you need? What do you, um, fortunately, hopefully that won't happen. But, <laughs> um, I look at it the same way. Um, we've, we've grown so much, you know, with technology and things like that, that, um, it would be kind of, I wouldn't say depressing or upsetting if I couldn't stop what I was doing to say, you know, somebody needs tomorrow off for whatever reason. Um, now if you choose to lead that way, you choose to lead that way. That's fine. Um, I have a, a big thing about attention to detail. So I know going into, you know, when I haven't been off, I look at my lineup and I know when I leave on Tuesday, I know how many people I have off, how many people can be off. And that's just something I put in my head. So if a company officer or which I deal with company officers now. So if my company, <laughs> one of my company officers said, Hey, X, Y, and Z needs a vacation day. I know if there's one available or if there's not one available and I can immediately give a response and say yes or no. I mean, and I think that, um, to me, that's, that's kind of big. I mean, um, you know, personally, I know our organization and other organizations, you know, allow sick time or PTO, whatever they call it. Um, I don't take sick leave. I haven't since June the 9th of 2006. So I'm going on a little over 16 years now. So, or 15 years. So I was, you know, I've always, I knew coming into this profession, there'd be things I'd miss. I mean, that's just life. I mean, yeah. Do I want to go to my son's soccer game on Saturday? Yes, I do. But if I have to work, I have to work. That's just kind of life. That's the way the cards were dealt. Yeah. So if, if I can't get a vacation day then, or get someone to cover me or work for me, I'm not going to be there. That's just, yeah. I mean. Well, and that was one thing that, you know, was kind of drilled in our heads whenever we came on was, you know, you don't take sick days and all of that stuff. And for me, it was, I was used to missing holidays and stuff. This is the way that I was raised. My dad worked offshore. So if he was gone to work, he was gone for two weeks, 30 days, whatever. And it didn't matter when it fell, you know, think we'd have Thanksgiving in October and Christmas in January. <laughs> well, but I think that's something that's kind of, especially with this profession, that's, and our organization that's kind of been pushed aside. It's, you know, if you can't, you know, you're not going to miss something. You're just going to be there. Yeah. Whether it's vacation, sick or whatnot. And, you know, and you know, my personal, I, I just don't agree with that, especially, you know, I'm not talking about the birth of a child or a wedding or something really significant. I'm talking about 
you know, little Billy's going to have his first T-ball game in the backyard with, you know, the dog. No, no, <laughs> you, you, you missed that. You, you come to work. I mean, I'm sorry. Um, you're such a hard ass chief. Well, uh, <laughs> I want to go to the lake with my friends. All my friends are going to the lake. No, it's no, you got to work. Well, but you look at, you know, and I'm not, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm not. Um, I remember taking my first sick day. I had about nine months on the job and I took it because I was like, man, I call in sick tomorrow and still get paid. Cause I'd never had a job like that. I mean, if you didn't work, you didn't get paid. I mean, that was it. So I always went to work and then, you know, I got this job and I'm not going to say I necessarily abused sick leave. I probably didn't use it for all the right reasons, but yeah, I mean, I come to work or I don't come to work and I get paid still. It's like, it's amazing. But I did hit, you know, a point in my life where I was like, you know, if I just came to work and I built up those hours and, you know, and that's what I try to teach a lot of the young kids now is, you know, young kids coming on the job and make 12, 13, 14, 15 bucks an hour. But if they save those hours in 10, 15, 20 years, I mean, those hours are worth 20, 25, 30 bucks an hour. It's, that's huge. Yeah. Even if you're getting paid out, you know, a half or, you know, in some organizations, a quarter, I mean, it's still more money than what you had. Yeah. It's uh, like a savings account. Yes, exactly. And that's how I look at it. Um, so, you know, me, I choose to go to work. Now, I'm also, you know, in my position, I'm maxed out on, you know, vacation time. I'm maxed out on comp time. So, yeah, if I want to use 12 hours on Friday to go golfing, what i'm gonna do but i'm maxed i mean i have 500 and something hours so i mean and for us that's a lot i mean you go to other organizations other cities i mean you know their max on vacation is 12 13 1400 hours i mean that's crazy so i mean and that's just what that's just what I, you know, and I'm, again, um, and you mentioned it before we started taping about mm-hmm. leading from the front. I mean, that's one of the ways I try to lead from the front. It's like, look, I come to work. I mean, I, I, I'll take vacation. I have, and again, vacation, comp time, whatever you have, that's, that's on you. I mean, yeah, that's your time. Mm-hmm. Sick leave though, I you know, save it for when I'm sick, knock on wood. I haven't been sick. Yeah. So. Chris, I do, I do have a question. Yes. So you, you know, you talked about your time as a firefighter and as a captain and you're captains over companies. You were a DSO as well. Now you're battalion chief over an entire district. What do you think some of the hindrances have been the higher you climb through the ranks to still be able to do the job you want to do, especially when it comes to like, personnel and taking care of your personnel what you said you know you you have things you do like checking the schedule for the next day or always being available but what have you found has become harder or what have you lost the more people that are under you well i don't think me personally i haven't lost anything i think what where people lose things is a attention to detail 
Um, whereas, again, you know, there are days that, you know, I'm, you know, I'm married. I have three sons, 20, 14, and 9. Um, and a large amount of the time, the guys in my district come before them. And that's, I'm not, again, I'm not a good father. I'm not a good husband. But, you know, for those guys that work for me, or guys and gals, um, I would hope, to a certain degree, you know, that means something to them. I mean, because my whole thought process and whatnot is if we fail as an organization, or if we fail as a company, then the whole thing fails. Um, if I don't have a job, that's really going to impact my family. And I and I look at I look at things like that. I, I that's my perception. I mean, my father. You know, again, going back to the way I was raised and all that. Um, I think the most my father ever made an hour was like thirteen bucks. And, but, you know, my mom and my dad, or my dad and my mom before she got sick, I mean, they always worked and they saved and we didn't have extra money for X, Y, and Z. And, you know, we didn't go to, you know, Florida every, you know, six months. I mean, because if, you know, the house payment doesn't get paid, we don't have a house. If, you know, there's not food to buy groceries. We didn't eat, you know, if there wasn't food to buy or money to buy clothes, we were wearing the tore up stuff that we had before. So, you know, I always look at, you know, that's my perspective is, you know, if this thing goes under, um, and you look at, you know, a town like, uh, you know, a good example, a friend of mine was telling me about, uh, Camden, New Jersey, which is just across the river from Philadelphia, you know, their economic status, you know, several years ago was that bad that, you know, the mayor, you know, on a Monday morning called in the fire chief, called in the police chief, said, all right, get rid of half your, uh, half your people. We're broke. We're done. And, you know, if we look at, you know, our organization or if other people look at their organization and say, what would happen if, you know, they came in and lopped off 50 even 40, 30% of the payroll. I mean, that'd be huge. I mean, that would, you know, decimate some people. So then what are you going to do if, you know, you're not a battalion chief with 20 years or you're not a firefighter paramedic or, you know, if you're just the everyday run-of-the-mill firefighter that just got hired four months ago, you're unemployed. You're going back to sacking groceries or moving furniture or you know, doing whatever you did, you know, before you came on. I mean, that's huge. And that's where my mindset has always been. I mean, if you go back in our history and you look at, you know, we've been extremely lucky that, I mean, we hire and hire and hire. I mean, they didn't hire anybody on our job from January 14th, 1980 to May 6th of 1985, no one, no one got hired. And, you know, because of our deployments and staffing and whatnot, we're lucky that, you know, we haven't 
endured that again. So, you know, my, my perspective is, and that's what kind of guides my thought process is what if they didn't need me tomorrow? You know, did that answer your question? Yeah. A little bit. A lot of bit. <laughs> I mean, sorry. You no. left him speechless. I love no, it. No, it was a perfect answer. <laughs> um, no, I mean, and that's where I don't think a lot of people, you know, especially in our organization, we don't think about the what ifs. We're very much, well, they can't do that. Well, they can't do that. Well, they can't do that. Or that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Well, you know, it very well could. It absolutely could. So, well, and I think that's a problem with us in general is because we're very reactive. We're not. Well, proactive. and I think that I think the fire service in general is, is totally reactive. I mean, if you look at, and I'm not a big fan of NFPA standards or whatnot, or some of the things we've done, but it's always in a reaction to what has happened. And mm-hmm. I get that. I get that. But when it comes to us personally, you know, we don't, you know, yeah, we become, you know, more complacent, you know, that mm-hmm. can't happen to us or this can't happen to us. Well, yeah, it very well could. Yeah. So something, something else I've wondered too, as, as you've worked your way up and now, like I said, like I said earlier, battalion chief, what have you changed or what is your focus now? You know, as a captain, you're preparing firefighters to do the job well and then lead, you know, now as a chief, you're preparing your firefighters as well. And now you're preparing captains to take a step up in their leadership as well. What's something you've, you've had to do to kind of, or have you changed your leadership style to address a greater mass of people now under you? It's not about addressing a a greater mass or changing any kind of style. It's, it's making them more aware of what's out there. Um, no different than the people that, you know, mentored or helped me. I mean, it's, you know, I'm not trying to change, you know, anyone to a certain extent, but I'm letting them know, Hey, you know, you could do X, Y, and Z, or, you know, for example, um, I went to the national fire Academy. I graduated from a program called the managing officer program. And that was only brought to my attention from one of our retired deputy chiefs. And he was like, Hey, you know, they have this program you could go to, I think it'd be good. And so I try to pass that stuff along. Um, there's, you know, a lot of things that, that us as individuals can do that will help you propel yourself through your career. The problem is, is as big as our organization is, you know, if you look at, um, you know, um, the FESHI model for professional development, it starts with, you know, your recruit training, and then it goes to relative experience and then higher education and then, you know, certificate programs and whatnot. And, you know, we're big on experience. And we get a lot of it. We really do. Depending on where you work, you get a lot of experience. And that's awesome. But we kind of lack the whole, well, you know, you could also go to school and do X, Y, and Z. And I think that's where we kind of fail is we're not 
promoting or helping, you know, our individuals to say, you know, you could do other things besides, you know, just going to work and running a lot of calls. Now, don't get me wrong. A lot of great stuff you get out of that, but, um, yeah, that's been a gripe of mine for a long time of how the lack of a formal professional development program. And unfortunately with our edu- you know, our organization, a lot of that's done on your own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it, and you can correct me if I'm wrong or, you know, if you don't agree or whatever, but we do a very poor job of preparing people for leadership. Oh yeah, totally agree. And most, Organi- big organizations like ours, they're in the same boat. You know, and I, I think something that's kind of interesting, and you brought up this point, we rely really as a fire service so much on experience being that preparation. But now we're seeing, you know, particularly in our department, but in, in a lot of departments, now we're seeing that transition where fire departments are running more EMS and expanding their horizon of what they do. And when you're allowing previous experience to dictate leadership and you don't have that experience with that, it does create kind of a, a parallel that sometimes can cause frustration or a lack of trust in leadership or just incapable leadership. Um, I don't think it's incapable leadership. I think they're, you know, some of the, depending on where you are, it's the leadership that's just kind of what's, what you're exposed to. Um, You know, like our organization, you know, we're very, you know, dependent on that experience component. Whereas another organization that, you know, is slower, doesn't run the calls that we run. They're probably more dependent on the educational, you know, component. I think the perfect blend is both. And that's where I think where we kind of fail is we have the experience component for those that want to experience it. But the educational component is really on your own. I mean, and that's just that that gets down to who you are as a person. I agree with you, but like if you think about too, if we say we talk about, you know, we go to like an ER setting in a hospital, and it's a busy ER, and for the longest time, they've never done this procedure, and all of a sudden they're doing this procedure, and the management has never done that procedure, but they're over those that are doing it and attempting to manage them. It's it's creating, I, specifically in our department, I know, it's that it'll that that constant saying, well, they've never done this, and they're expecting us to do it, and. One thing that I think the younger people on the job and in the service in general are really noticing when those white shirts, per se, hop on the, you know, do the dirty jobs along with the people that they're asking them to do, which goes back to, you know, your point of leading from the front. It's easy. It's easy to stand back behind and say, hey, I need you to do this. This is what we're doing today versus I need you to do this with me. This is what we are doing today. Now, I think that that speaks volumes. There's a class out there. Um, a lot of people have had it nationwide. I mean, uh, the name of the class is nozzle forward and it's 
taught by uh, a man by the name of Aaron Fields out of the Seattle Fire Department. And it's a great class. I mean, it really is. Um, hose line deployment, all that stuff. I mean, it's great. And it's the way he, you know, his approach to fire tactics, hand line deployment, things like that. But, you know, the best thing he says in that class is, you know, there's only one shortcut in this profession, and that's work. And so many people in this organization and other organizations, you know, they think once they get through recruit training and the CPAT and whatnot, they're done. And it's, it doesn't end there. It, uh, that's just the start. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I look back at my career and my life really. And, you know, I became an EMT when I was 18. If I could do it all over again, I would have went to a met. I would have went to medical school at nineteen, and from there on, you know, progressed through it. But you know, I had it in his head. I'm going to be a firefighter. That's it. And you know, our industry is so contrary to that. I mean, do we still have fires? Yes. Do we still have? high intensity fires and whatnot, depending on the organization you serve. Yes. But 80, 85% of what we do is EMS. If you're not going to medical school, then, and that's where I am, you know, I kind of differ with a lot of people because I will talk to young people that, you know, they want to be firefighters or whatnot. And, you know, and even some of my superiors or peers and they're like, you know, can you help somebody get blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, if they're not really willing to go to medical school, then what good are they doing us? I mean, I was fortunate. I was lucky that when I got on, it was just, you know, on the latter side or the, the tail inside of just being a firefighter. Those days are over. We are a multi service organization and really that multi-service organization really falls to the ems side so if you're not willing to go to medical school then what good do i have for you well and to like being a paramedic is not just it's not just helping the organization it's helping yourself oh totally the, the, 100%. The, you know of the if you run 10 you run 100 calls one maybe a house fire five, maybe automatic alarms, five or six, maybe wrecks. And the majority of them are going to be, the rest are probably going to be your EMS of those that are EMS in our system. At least only half of them probably get a fire truck on them. So that medic already is developing scene management skills and critical thinking skills and very necessary skills to further themselves in this fire department. Well, and that's where, you know, I, I try to shift you know, my thinking or what I'm telling other people is, um, yeah, I mean, EMS is, if, if you, you know, and, and I, I, again, I, I compartmentalize this maybe a little too much, but I look at the people that became before me and, or came before me and, you know, 30, 40, 50 years, well, not 30, but 
you know, 40, 50 years ago, what did firefighters do? They went to fires. That was it. That was it. That was all they did. And then, you know, you look at the mid seventies, late seventies, they started getting education equipment and then it, you know, expanded after that. I mean, whereas like in our generation or at least mine, I mean, EMS was a bigger thing and now it's, it's a, a huge thing. And if you're not looking at your career at, at a young age, if you're coming on now that I'm going to be a firefighter EMT or a firefighter EMT paramedic, then you're looking at it wrong. I mean, actually they should probably look at it as I'm going to be a paramedic slash firefighter because that's just where the industry and society and everything else has taken us. And, you know, I feel bad for those young people that, that are trying to get into this profession now that, have talked to their grandparents or, you know, older uncles or older parents that, you know, when they came on, they just fought fire. That's what they did. Those days are pretty much gone. I mean, especially in our area of the country. So if you're not willing to become a EMT, you know, paramedic, then I mean, good luck. I mean, there's still places that'll hire you, but is that really where you want to be? And is that really what you want to, you know, the kind of service you want to bring to your community? You know, I was always taught that, you know, coming into this profession that, you know, when people pick up the phone and call 911, they're, you know, it's it's no different than if you go to your doctor. You, you don't feel good. You want an answer. Well, those people that pick up 911, they want some kind of an answer. And... A lot of times, yeah, we can't give the answer because there is a plethora of reasons we get called on 911. But on the flip side, you know, we got to give them some kind of hope, chance, opinion, something. Yeah. Or direct them in. In that way. In the correct. And that's where, you know, the higher education and the more knowledge, you know, knowledge is power. I mean. Again, going back to the nozzle forward thing, um, one of the things he says that I think is amazing is knowledge is power until it's decisive and destructive. And, or knowledge is power unless it's lorded and hoarded, then it's de- decisive and destructive. So knowledge is power, yes, but we need to share that knowledge for the young guys or the young gals that are coming on this job when we keep that knowledge into our, you know, close to our chest, well then it just divides people's and just creates really animosity. Well, I think at least for me would be that you want to make it better or leave it better than when you came in. And I, you know, and that's a, that's a great, um, expression thought. The only problem is, is, you know, in a large organization, I mean, just showing up to work every third day, I mean, you're not really doing it any harm. So what did you do to make it better? Not to say that that's not a good way to look at it, but how did you make it better? I mean, and that's what, you know, 
for example, in the position I'm in with my company officers, you know, I, Hey, you know, we have this school, we have this class, you know, you can go here, you can get this certification. I mean, again, big organization, bigger problems, but you know, all those little pieces of paper that we always say don't mean nothing. They really do mean something. Um, maybe not for us, but you know, depending on where you go, I mean, it's huge. I mean, yeah. Well, I think, and I kind of have the, the mindset or, you know, the vision, whatever you want to call it. And we've talked about it on the podcast before. You never know what you're going to say or do that's going to affect somebody or spark change within them down the road. And it might not happen immediately or whatever. And so you go to a crew or whatever and you show somebody, okay, I learned this extrication technique or a new way to splint something or whatever it may be, yeah, whatever skill that they didn't have before. And they're able to take that and say, okay, now I'm going to teach the next person that or whatever and pass it down the line. That's kind of what I've, well, and it's like, um, you know, for example, um, I know I was a BC when I came up North and then anyway, um, somebody had made a comment about a firefighter who was maybe a jerk or, standoffish or whatever and they were you know they they used the example of they they were cleaning an axe but they weren't doing it the way that person wanted it and they took it as you know the guy was kind of a jerk and i was like well he could be a jerk i mean more than likely yeah he may be a jerk but maybe he takes that much pride in his apparatus that every piece of equipment that goes on that apparatus is, you know, cleaned and polished to a certain way. And, you know, and that's where, again, I mean, it's all in delivery. It's, it's all in technique, but, you know, I think as individuals, we don't, we, you know, again, I I don't want to say tough skin, but instead of individuals looking at it that way, they regress and look at it in the negative way. Um, great example. When I came on the job, um, worked, you know, our on the job training was always under this one firefighter. Mine was under this one firefighter who did nothing but yell, scream and cuss at you. But he always taught you something. And I didn't care what he said to me, what he called me or whatnot. Cause he always taught me something. And he always, at a certain extent, if you just sat there and took it, and that's probably not the PC thing to say, especially in 2021, (laughs) he would explain to you why he was, what he was trying to convey to you. And it was amazing. I mean, it was awesome. I didn't care what he called me or how he talked to me. I mean, he was in charge of me. I was, he was the superior. I was the to a certain extent inferior. So I was like, okay. And, you know, I always walked out of every situation that I was in with him learning 10 times more than what I knew walking into that situation. And, but again, you know, you look at today's society and where we are at this point in time, you know, and I attribute a little bit of that and I could be wrong, but just my perspective is, people that have played sports, especially from an older generation 
and I kind of consider myself to be that, where you had the coach who yelled at you and all that stuff. It, I'm not gonna say it made you more resilient. I would totally, I, I would totally agree. I mean, because you're used to that style, especially in this org, you know, this industry. Yeah, you have to have that competitive spirit inside of you, mm-hmm. and you didn't, you know. When I played sports, I mean, I didn't care what people said to me. I just, I wanted to do better. I always wanted to do better. And then you get into the, you know, and I, again, I hate to say it, but the, every kid gets a trophy and we can't yell at nobody. And mm-hmm. and now it's, we've, we are just seeing the. It doesn't build critical thinking. It doesn't build resilience. It doesn't. Doesn't build character. Yeah. We're seeing the outcome of all of that. That's what I think we're seeing is because now it's more of anybody can be a firefighter. And I'm not saying, you know, everybody can be a firefighter. I'm just saying that I think, you know, it's still not an easy job. It's still not, you know, we're going to see a lot of bad things on a day-to-day basis and you take that mentality of every kid gets a trophy no matter how good they were how good they weren't you know that impacts us down the road i i personally i feel like it does the individual person a disservice you know you know in in a job like this if we don't vet them better you know like this this isn't a job that this isn't a participation trophy job and we do people a disservice by giving them the false idea that it is, and they come on and see things that could potentially ruin them. So I kind of want to talk about something, and we're kind of heading in that direction anyway, but you know, you mentioned you're going to run that bad call, or you know, you're going to see stuff that the normal population is not going to see. Yeah. So as a battalion chief, someone who is, you know, has however many people that you're responsible for. How do you handle that as in the leadership role whenever one of your crews runs that bad call? Well, I think the biggest, the first thing you have to do is to a certain extent, put yourself in their shoes and you have to check up on them. You have, and you, it's not a phone call. It's not a text. It's kind of, you know, for me personally, going to the station, getting in their face. Hey, you know, you guys ran X, Y, and Z. That sucked. How are we doing? I mean, and if you're doing okay, you're doing okay. And and I think a lot of our, our members still are, are more, they're not willing to come out and say, yeah, that sucked. I don't want to be here. But you have to make that effort. Um, I know in my time, in the year and a half I've been to B.C., I've checked, well, we had, um, we had a crew that had a couple and it was kind of like weird back to, not back to back, but like maybe a couple ships in a row where they had an infant CPR call. And it's like, man, that's, that's just got to blow. I mean, that blows for anyone. Yeah. It's just sucks. one of them. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, you, whether the members have children or not you you get out of your office you get out of your car and 
You go check up on them. Hey, and 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 you admit with to them what what you know not only what what they what you heard over the radio if you weren't there, but hey, that that stunk. How are you guys doing? Vent, yell, whatever. Um, you know if it's you know I, I've had that incident and then another tragic fire call where it's like you know and that was my afternoon was going around and making laps to different companies to different places and saying okay that sucked what i mean talk to me because you know the bad thing is and i think again this is where we fail in this industry is you know we're going to show up and good things happen or bad things happen to good people every day unfortunately you know we're just going to see the brunt of that and we still have to process though i mean we still have to you know go through that and you know in this day and age i mean with some of our individuals yeah we have to be more adamant of you know how are you doing how you know that that stunk I mean, what can I do for you? What do you need? And, you know, if it gets to the point where it's badgering, well, then that's where it is. I mean, it's not, you know, I, I, I read a, a book. It's called The the uh, the Last Man Out. It was about Rescue 2 and FDNY. And uh, there was a, a part of the book that um, Rescue 2 had a, a real famous captain who ended up becoming a chief. He actually was the special ops chiefs for FDNY, and he ended up passing away on 9-11 due to the collapses and whatnot. But uh, his name was Ray Downey. I mean, he had been, you know, in FDNY, you know, and I hate to con- you know, compare other places <laughs> to that, but yeah. they had what to call the war years. And, I mean, they were running four, five, six fires a shift. I mean, it was just war. And – uh they had a fire and I think they lost two or three kids. And, uh, I mean, this man was, I believe a Korean war vet or a world war two vet, but Marine, I mean, just hard as nails. And, uh, the guy writing the book, you know, was telling, you know, a third person story. And, uh, he called a friend of his to, to meet at a bar. They're going to have a drink and talk about it. And this guy just lost it. And, the guy telling the story could not believe it, could not believe that this man, Ray Downey started crying. And it was just like, you know, we all have our breaking points and, you know, I think they're earlier now than they were before, just because life experiences and whatnot. But, you know, as an officer, I mean, you have to be looking out for, you know, your people and, and whether it's, you know, if you think your people are doing okay, you know, I always felt the best thing to do is get, you know, after it's done, you get your hose changed, your gear changed and all that, you know, do something company oriented or do something battalion or, or, you know, get people involved. If it's just sitting around the kitchen table talking, okay, that's it. But you know, 
engage them. Don't let them just run off and get on Facebook and Twitter and, you know, Instabook or whatever they you guys do. I mean, <laughs> or go to your room and just watch TV. Get everybody out. Get them out in, in, in the day room. Get them, you know, involved. I mean, if anything, worst case scenario, get on the rig and, you know what, if you're the company officer, I mean, go buy them dinner. Go eat pizza. You know what? Forget about cooking tonight. You know what? That food will keep for a couple of days. We'll just go, you know, we'll go do whatever, you know. And I think that, that you know, I'm not going to say it lessens what you've went through, but it redirects you. And for me, that's that's always been huge. I mean, um it might help jumpstart the healing process. Well, I mean, and it, it's just on how you, um, you know, it, it, you don't know how people are going to address things. So, you know, it may, you know, for that one person, you know, send them down a bad road. So if it lessens what they're thinking about or what they're experiencing, then to me, that's kind of a win. I mean, cause we all, you know, deal with stuff differently. Um, unfortunately, you know, my personal thing, um, I was 16 when my mother died. I was 29 when my father died. Um, so loss is kind of there, but you know, you take someone who's younger, who may be 23, 24 on the, you know, a couple years on the job and you know, they really haven't lost much, then they may not know how to deal with, you know, what they're experiencing. Um, if you go back, you know, 40, 50 years, you know, the people coming into the fire service then, I mean, they were all pretty much military vets. You know, they've been gone for four years. So they left high school and had to grow up. Because, you know, this is an, this is a, an industry that, you know, just again, it was blue collar. It was for those guys and gals that weren't, you know, going to college, weren't, you know, going to the stock market or whatnot. They were, they did their four years. They came home. They needed a job. Fire service was hiring. Okay. I'll be a firefighter. And that's where I think a lot of our, our, uh, maybe upper echelon don't, they don't, you know, tend to contemplate that stuff or think about that stuff. So Chris, I do, I, I am curious on something and you know, this answer doesn't necessarily have to be like art department specific, but even for those, I want you to answer this for, for the future leaders. How do you find that fine line between being a chief doing the, operational duties as a chief sometimes discipline as a chief but then also removing that hat to be a mentor or an ear to listen to or just you know somebody extra at the table when somebody does need to vent and then also putting that hat back on when necessary how do you how do you balance that well you balance it because you think about for me personally you think about you know you have to put yourself in their shoes you know wherever you at it, three years on the job, four years on the job, eight years on the job. And, you know, there's a totally different, 
you know, there's a totally different line when I'm talking to someone as a person, as Chris, and then when I'm a chief. I mean, there's that's two different things. And and if they're experiencing something, you know, that may be out of the norm or something they didn't, you know, we we all didn't want to experience, well, then, yeah, it's easy to become Chris and hey, you know, you know, vent, yell, cuss, do whatever. Um, on the flip side, being a chief, I mean, that's pretty much, you know, to, well, not pretty much. I mean, it, to a certain extent, it's black and white. You know, did you do something wrong? Did you do something you weren't supposed to do? Did you do something good? I mean, but we have to remember, you know, you, you Again, in, in most organizations, promotional processes, they talk about empathy and things like that. Well, to empathize with someone, it doesn't mean to sympathize with them, that I know exactly what you're feeling. It's, you know, to empathize is basically, I, I know the ballpark you're coming into. And even though I've not experienced what you're feeling, you know, that's where I empathize with you. So, you know, something that may affect you may not affect me. So, but that's not to say that, you know, you're feeling something wrong. It's more of, okay, you're not handling something good, which is totally understandable. So I'm here for you. Talk to me. And you know what? You may not talk tomorrow. And that's where, to me, the big thing is following up, you know, you know what? Today, you may not want to talk about it. Tomorrow, you may not want to talk about it. You know, the next day, you may want to talk, not want to talk about it. But maybe in a week, you'll want to talk about it. Um, again, as firefighters, I mean, the bad thing is, I don't think we, you know, and I think this is nationwide, maybe worldwide, you know, we don't really handle a lot of those situations well. I mean, we all, um, for the most part, choose probably the wrong way to handle those situations. And then, you know, for me as a leader, you know, I'll try to talk you through that. But probably the most important thing I can do is give you a ride home. And then here in two, three, four, five days, when you're really ready to talk about it, I'm there and it may just be, I'm going to scream, yell, cuss. Why'd this happen? I may not have an answer, but if I can give you that outlet to get it out, then hopefully that helps you in the healing process. I think one of the problems, especially in our job, but I, th I think it's a career thing is the stigma of what a white shirt represents sometimes too. We don't see it as a, viable outlet to help us on our personal needs. Well, and you, you could be 110% right, but you know, me personally, the biggest thing I've always tried to remind myself is at one point in time, I was a firefighter At one point in time. I was, and actually I was a firefighter that went to captain. So that's, you know, you know, I skipped, 
you know, in our organization, I skipped the driver process. And your drivers, you know, when I came on, they were a huge outlet. I mean, hey, I can't talk to Cap about this. Can I talk to you about it? Sure. Um, but I think the biggest thing is, is and, and again, this is just one of the things I, I teach. I mean, everybody, everyone, every single person, whether it's our fire department, um, you know, again, I have friends across this country that are firefighters and the biggest thing that they teach us that we all, I mean, it's there every day is some people teach you what to do. Some people teach you what not to do. And, you know, when I was 29, my father died. Um, my brothers and sisters basically said, Hey, you know, you live at home, it's, you're on your own. Um, my father literally died in my arms, literally. And my captain didn't care. My driver didn't care. The other firefighter on rig didn't care. And, you know, that was one of those things that, you know, I kind of told myself that, hey, if I'm ever in that position, I'm not going to impose but I'm going to do everything I can for that person. You know what? And even if it's something, I don't want to say, you know, self-destructive is I'm going to take them a beer or I'm going to go have a beer with them. I'm going to be there for them. Now, hopefully I'm the voice of reason that says, Hey, you know, I know this is what you want, but this probably isn't the way you should be dealing with it but I'm here for you. Um, and that was something that, you know, honestly wasn't offered to me. It was, you're on your own kid. Good luck. And I, to me, that's where, you know, you get into, especially as you progress up the ranks is, you know, did they teach you something to do or what not to do? You know, that's, you know, that's something you got to look in the mirror. Um, if you've struggled with, you know, substance abuse or alcohol problems or whatever. Yeah, you may. I mean, hey, this is not for me. That's when you can, you know, you open another door. Hey, this is not for me. And I'll tell you why. Because I went down this road, X, Y, and Z. And guess what? It did not work. But, you know, you may be dealing with someone that, you know, doesn't use that avenue a lot. And, I mean, I hate to say it. I mean, again, probably not the right choice, but maybe they just needed to get over that hump. Um, well, I think the the biggest part of it is just being there. No, oh, it's huge. It's, you know, it's huge. Regardless of all the other stuff. Um, I mean, you just know, showing up is well, but, but where I'm, I'm going at is and we have a, this industry has a hard problem with if somebody has some kind of issue with, you know, drugs, alcohol, whatnot, we just, you know, we push it aside. We, Oh, they, you know, Oh yeah. They, they got a little hammered, you know, they got a little banged up tonight, but, They'll be fine. Well, maybe they won't, 
But, you know, if it's someone that, you know, I, I, I know three friends right now that I'm very rare, rare, rare. It's like a blue moon or an eclipse for them to drink. But they've hit, you know, losses in their life where they got bombed. And it's like, you know, you want to be cautious. You want to be, you know, caring. But, you know, in my experience, you, I knew that once they Kate got out of it, they were done. I mean, that was, it was not an issue. Now, we all know people in our lives that, you know, that's the first thing they do is turn to it. And it's like, well, this probably isn't the answer. Yeah. You know, maybe we should, um, redirect. Yeah. Use, it, a, use a different coping skill. Exactly. <laughs> and you know, it works for some, it doesn't work for others. And yeah. honestly, probably doesn't work for more, more of us than what we think it does. But again, that's, well, I think one of those things is, you know, seeing what's going on with it, you know? Yeah. Okay. We're going to sit down and have a beer but we're going to talk. You well, know, and then gonna, where does that beer go to? Yeah. Does that beer lead to 47 beers or does that beer lead to a talk? And then that's it. I mean, and that's, that's, you know, again, I think industry wide, we probably don't, um, handle that good. No, I think it's, and it's no different in military and police culture either. No, where alcohol no. is synonymous, you know, with that's oh, how we get over things. Yeah. Oh, you're having a rough time. Let's go to the bar. Yep. So what? And that's it. Could be a placeholder, you know, get you through for a little while. But if you're not dealing with that stuff, it's just like, you know, if you were a fighter or whatever, TBI. You get hit in the head enough, all of those blows, it accumulates damage. Yep. So all the trauma and stuff that you see, if you're not taking it back out and dealing with it, eventually it's going to come out. Oh yeah. So we all talk about, you know, compartmentalization and all of this stuff. We've been doing it wrong for forever because the way that we handle it by and large, and I'm not going to say everybody, I don't, I won't generalize like that, but by and large is we take it and we put it in a box and then we never bring it back out again and deal with it. No, until the box is overloaded, yeah. and then it just the box explodes. Yeah, and everybody thinks it's this ironclad box. It's not. It's a cardboard box, and it's about this freaking big. Yep, I would agree. So, all right, I, well, I, got, on guys, my, I got on my I got on my soapbox there for a second. Look at me, <laughs> looking at me like I have the answers to everything. Because you're the you know, the voice in the sky that nobody ever sees slash it technical support. Yep. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a break. We'll be back with KBBL. <laughs> we'll answer your questions when you call in. Hit the pause How button. Here with Jeremy green, James Moran. <laughs> um, and we've talked about a lot of colors. We've covered a lot of ground. Um, join us next week when we have, uh, yeah, <laughs> Right. You don't even know who's on next week. <laughs> yeah, who is on that? Uh, Darren and Doug Niemeyer are coming on. 
next. Oh, really? Brothers. Yeah. All right. And so. we're back. All right, ladies and gentlemen. And <laughs> we're right. here. We're sponsored by Duff Beer. You can't get enough of that wonderful <laughs> Duff. <laughs> Yeah, right. um, you know, the biggest thing, you know, if I could pass along to anybody, you know, especially for those who are getting ready to get promoted, and this is probably where I fail to a certain extent, is when I come to work, when I walk in that door, 98.9% of the time, the guys on the job come before anything, and that's my kids and my wife. And my wife, I will, God bless her. I love her. Um, she understands that. And, and, you know, that's only because of a lot of the guys that I work for, or not a lot, well, one, did that same thing. And it's hard. And I'm not saying I'm right. Um, you know, if you look at, you know, the history of the fire service and especially in our job, you know, I don't know if you two have ever been told this, but you could be in the busiest engine truck company in the city. I mean, running 10 fires a day. If the people you work around, you hate, you're going to hate being at work. Oh yeah. Or you could be in the slowest company, you know, and that's where I think a lot of guys that work in some of our non I mean, they're busy, but they're non-fire busy companies that they kind of get a bad name, but they get around such a good group of guys that come to work is a blast. And and I, I've been fortunate to have those situations where I didn't want to have an end date because just coming to work, I mean, we were going to do something goofy. We were going to have fun. I mean, we could have ran five fires in a day. We could have ran one EMS call. Who cared? I mean, we were having a blast. That does and, sound like the perfect day. Well, <laughs> five fires, one EMS call. Five but, <laughs> you know, it, it, it gets down to the people you work with. I mean, and if you lose touch of that, I mean, that's, you know, the uh, that's when you really get, you know, I think hurting to a certain extent. And, you know, I knew when I was five what I wanted to do. I really did. And again, my, I think my success is attributed to my sense of detail. Um, I can look at people, especially a lot of people that have time on me, and I can say, oh, were they, they were hired on this day. They were hired on this day. They were hired on this day. Just because, I mean, all I ever want to do is be a firefighter. And the guys that work for me, I mean, I know when – X, Y, and Z has been, you know, he spent, you know, seven of the last days on an ambulance or they've done this or they've done that. Um, I was at a station a few weeks ago saying goodbye to one of, um, a kid that worked for, for me for a couple weeks and, uh, ambulance has been getting hammered, been getting hammered, come walking in, they get their food out of the fridge. I called dispatch. Hey, uh, yeah, medic, blah, blah, blah. they put them out of service admin. I'm here to talk to them. And the medic turned around and looked at me. He's like, I do something wrong. I was like, no, you need to eat. I was like, we all got to eat. We all got to go to the bathroom. We all got to take a shower. He's like, really? I was like, yeah, just eat. I'm here to talk to him. Just eat. He's like, wow. 
That's kind of cool. I was like, well, you, you've been gone for the last four hours. I mean, don't you want to eat? And I was like, I'll put you back. And he was like, no, I'd love to eat. <laughs> I was like, but that's, I was like, wait, but, wait, wait, but wait, to wait. me, to me, that's, you know, the little victory. I mean, just showing someone that, yeah. With, and again, the, the, the flip side of the coin is, okay, if a code comes in across the street, run the code. Forget yeah. about your f- food. Yeah. But, you know, it's well, it's take. Yeah, it's a huge thing, though, to show those guys. And I know for me personally, I appreciate the hell out of that because it shows that you give a shit yeah. about the I people mean, that you're responsible for. Again, the you know, and I said it earlier, um, the crew you were on in my district, I mean, you ran like two pediatric codes in like two shifts. And mm-hmm. I was like, I, I just. I had to go. I was like, you guys doing okay? I mean, it sucks. I mean, yeah. And get, we show up to things and we know the outcome is not going to be good. And those are easy. That's where we get our, uh, you know, solace. You know, we, we get that relief of, okay, we did everything we could. There was no good outcome. Yeah. Um, in our district, you know, we had a fire, triple fatality fire with, I knew one and two were gone. I knew it, as soon as I sh- as soon as they pulled them up because I I I got there as they were pulling them out. I was like, yeah, they're nope. But three, they gave three, you know, a week, and and I was surprised you made it a week. But they took the actions. They did what they could to give that you know that family that last chance i mean that last five days i mean they gave him hope and sometimes maybe hope isn't good but i mean they did everything they could to and you know like i think that's where we fail really and i've preached this and preached this and preached this you know i have a company in my district that a year and a half they have five cardiac safes amazing that's amazing i don't have any fire saves Five cardiac saves. That's huge. That's why I preach. Go to medical school. Because especially like going to medical school, especially for a young kid now, hopefully if a young kid, if you're listening to this, you're marketing yourself. It's no different than Nike market shoes or, you know, Coca-Cola markets their soft drink. I mean, market yourself. You go to that medical school, there's not going to be one fire department that wants you. There's going to be like 50. That's huge. And again, going back to the education stuff and all that, I mean, you have a degree, you have this, you have that, you have all those little pieces of paper that a big organization kind of makes fun of. They speak volumes. I mean, they really do. And, um, I wish I could be, more entertaining, more insightful. But I mean, my, my career has really led me down to the, the, you know, I did X, Y, and Z. I got some experience, you know, why don't I do, you know, A, B, and C and see if it'll help me get promoted. And that's, you know, you know, where I've, 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 come to and uh, you know i appreciate the opportunity with you with james i mean you know i'm i'm teaching a high school firefighter one and two class right now 
And I tell them straight out, you know, this is not my fire department anymore. I'm done. Um, this is for you guys. And, you know, it's up to you to, to carry it on. And, you know, we, you talk about, you know, leaving it better than what you found it. Well, we've just progressed into that era of leaving it better than what you found it, you know, really delves into a lot of the education and, you know, the things that we talk about now that, you know, like diversity and things like that. If you would take a simple public administration class, you're going to learn all about diversity right there. And everybody, everybody, you know, I think that, you know, hopefully he's listening to something like this would, would know that, yeah, I want to see people that look like me showing up on a fire truck. You know, if I live in a predominantly, you know, lower, you know, income area, you know, I want to see the guy down the street. And that's, that's what I grew up in. You know, I, I grew up in, you know, the, a lot of the firefighters I saw in the station in the neighborhood I worked or lived in, they lived down the street. They lived two blocks over, or that was that guy's dad, or that was that guy's uncle, or, you know, and that's, that's what I, I grew up in. And it was very much blue collar. It was very much, I mean, I always tell my kids, you know, being a firefighter coming out of my neighborhood was like living in a very affluent part of the city and being a doctor, you know, you go to certain parts of our city and, you know, every other block, there's a doctor or a surgeon or this or that, a lawyer. Whereas in my neighborhood, every other, every other guy or every other block had a firefighter on it. Yeah. So <laughs> James, anything? I'm good. Thank Thank you for coming on today, my friend. Appreciate it. James? We really appreciate you coming on. No. Thank you very, very much. No, it's awesome. Um, hopefully, I'll be invited back. I mean, probably not, no. but yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> oh. He doesn't speak for everybody. So, uh, no, yeah. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate it immensely. And no, it, it you know, and, and I, I did it because of you, because of James. Um, I do it for people that are not only looking to better themselves, but as firefighters, people I kind of, you know, I look up to and, you know, it's a short joke. Really? Um, you know, I will say this, you know, (laughs) the thing is, is the, what I've tried to bring to my people or, you know, I'm in a slower district. You guys know that, but I, I've, not like James, you know, and the busiest part of the city, you know, I got a little bit of skin in the game and that, that means a lot to, you know, to me, that's what I try to bring people is I have some skin in the game. You know, I've had my nights where I've been up and I've been up and I've been up and, you know, I spent 10 years in a very big, busy part of the city where sleep was not an answer. Uh, last thing I like to add, um, I was, and this is why I love this class. And I love this nozzle forward class for a lot of reasons, but so the guy that teaches it is a firefighter. He's just a firefighter on an engine company in Seattle. And, uh, you know, you go to the class and you're like, all right, what do I expect? And he's just, you're like, really? You know, you look at him and you're like, what kind of white trash? Is this? You know, he's <laughs> scruffy. He has flip-flops on. And, he, you know, the first thing he'll tell you, he's like, I'm a firefighter. That's it. That's all I'm as a firefighter. He's like, matter of fact, and I took it, I've taken it three times. And the last time I took it, he was like, 
I was at a fire two weeks ago. I'm rolling hose, right? Chief comes up to me. He's like, hey, I don't like the way you're rolling that hose. He goes like, I looked at my chief and I was like, hey, I don't like how you run your fires, but you don't see me getting into your stuff. So why don't you stay out of mine? <laughs> and I was like, holy moly. Good. And then, you know, and everybody just dies laughing and he goes, and he looks at everybody and goes, don't ever say that to a chief because it doesn't work out good. <laughs> and I was like, that's pretty good though. I mean, that was pretty good. That was a good comeback there. Yeah. And that's what, you know, again, you know, this job is about the people. It's, it's about the people we work with. And, you know, I think far too often we say we're a family and that's what we're taught in drill school. We're a family. Do we really act like a family? I try to treat everybody like family, you know, and I don't, you know, I, I will, I will say this. Um, and again, a lot of it, again, you know, we have such a, a stigma of, if I say I did this for you or did this for him or, well, why are you bragging on each other? Well, it's like, well, but what if I did do this for him and did do this? Why am, what's wrong with me just letting that be known? Like, uh, last week I got a phone call and, uh, you know, I went up to drive an ambulance and everybody's like, what, why would you do that? And it's like, well, I didn't do it for recognition. I didn't do it for, you know, I did it just cause I wanted to do it. But you know, like my ambulances, my ambulances, and we all know in our organization, ambulances, they Suck. get hurt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not fun. Yeah. Well, no, but but it's still a job, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're well, not they, unemployed. You're not. What no. did you do before you came on? Worked on the ambulance. <laughs> no, before you came on, before that. Worked in a jail. Could be doing that. Nope. I was a bartender. Didn't make near as much money. But, you know, I went around to my ambulance, my crews that have ambulances, and I called them all in the morning. I took turns now granted i took turns and uh it's like hey it's friday what do you want pizza or steak call it well of course they took steak no. God <laughs> yeah, they're forbid not we stupid. take pizza <laughs> but no i I'd take pizza i would go through i went through all of my stations that had ambulances and i bought them steak i mean because how many how many times do you know and, and again this is my mentality but if you mess up tomorrow, if you go to a fire tomorrow, mess up or an EMS call or whatever, there's going to be a line four blocks long of people to say, man, you really screwed that up. Mm -hmm. But how many times when you do something good are people going, that's awesome. They're like, eh, good job. Yeah. That's the way I look at it. Yeah. So you are, you're not wrong at all. So. But your mindset is rare. That's what's said. Well, yeah. hopefully it, you know, um, you know, on that, well, but, but that mindset though gets down to one thing and that's money. And did it cost me X amount of dollars to do that? Yeah. It wasn't cheap, but you know, I had an uncle that, you know, and this is where we're getting in this. So <laughs> he was. Oh, he's in his eighties. Anyway, I call him, you know, just talk to him one day and he's like, I'm not going to make it. I'm like, Oh, you're dying. <laughs> what? Oh, you're dying today. Or it's like, Nope. You got $920,000 in the bank cash. 
I'm not going to make a million. And I'm like, really? That's it? I was like, you haven't talked to your four kids in like six months, but that's that's where you're, that's where you're taking your stand. Money, you know what? I'll make money tomorrow. I'll make money the next day. If I can do something, you know, like buy steaks or pizza for my guys to say, hey, thanks, because no one else is going to do it. Then you know what? That's a good investment. Because just telling someone, I think personally, that hey, I care. I care what you're doing. I know what you're doing and it sucks and it's, yeah. you know, it's a day in day out. And you know what? An ambulance may leave the station at one. They may not get back to six o'clock at night. Yeah. But seriously, I mean, to sit there and say, I care. Well, I, like I, I said, it, it's huge. I mean, speaking from the perspective of, you know, the person that's working under you, it's huge to know that, my leadership gives a shit about me. No, and that's kind and the, of the, the way. gesture goes farther than the money ever would. Yeah, and see, to me that, to me that just, I, I hopefully that motivates you to to go out and say, you know what, today sucks, tomorrow may suck, but you know what, Chief did X, Y, and Z. At least he cares. And that's my biggest thing is I, I just want people to know I care, you know. And you know what? If I have to get on an ambulance to drive it, I've wrecked a whole bunch of stuff in my life. I can wreck an ambulance. <laughs> you know what? I might edit that You know, out. knowing this, though, <laughs> yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call my battalion chief and ask for a state because I know that motherfucker's swimming <laughs> in money. Oh, Opie? <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's drowning. <laughs> like, hey, asshole, what that? With that $15,000 bill you just did on that Jeep, can a brother get a steak? How about you ought to tell him that. <laughs> oh. All right, Chris, thank you very much for coming on. No problem. We thank appreciate you, it. James. And like we end every episode, if you are having a problem, there are resources out there. If you know somebody that's struggling, reach out, talk to them. Don't be afraid. Let them know that you care. Let them know there are resources out there. Thanks for stopping by.